Hello everyone, welcome to episode 66 of the Northampton Chronicles podcast. My name is Richard Smith. And I'm Chloe Finch. And this week's guest was Ollie Canapo, who works at BBC Radio Northampton and is also a graduate from the University of Northampton's journalism course. Although his primary interest going into journalism was the cobblers, he went down a different route, starting with his placements alongside the course. Here's Ollie talking to our host and senior lecturer, Hilary Scott. So, it all started in... What did you do placements between first and second? Uh, both. Yeah. yeah, so my first year placement, I wanted, surprisingly, to go to the cobblers. Couldn't, for one reason or another. So I started off, I went to a community station, Inspiration FM, which wasn't something I really wanted still to do. Still here. It is still here. But I needed to get, I'm sure everybody knows this, you need to get the work experience done, so you just kind of, you do it. But I made it, uh, you know, they're like, oh, what are you interested in? And I said, sport. So at that time, they had an evening show on BBC, and the guy that did, like, a sport bulletin for them left. So like, oh, do you want to come along and try it? So I was like, yeah, sure. And then it was literally just kind of saying yes to things. So the show before that, the girl who was producing it left. They needed somebody. I said yes. And it's just been hard work, but circumstance as well, and just not saying no to anything, because you don't know where you're going to end up. Yeah, Richard, I completely agree with what Ollie said there about never saying no to anything, because it's so important in this journalism world. You know, you need to get your contacts, you need to get that list of people that you can contact if you need interviews or experience. Don't you agree? Yeah, and it also shows the importance of like your work placements, that you can get these incredible jobs with some national radio stations, especially within the BBC, if you, if you prove yourself and show that you can actually do the work, because... There's more to just the journalism putting together radio shows than just the presenter. There's there's editors, there's producers, the team behind the team. There's even researchers, even people just make cups of tea. Like there's so many roles involved and so many ways you can get involved. So it's it's nice to see from former graduates that they can actually get placements and work from just doing the work experience that we have to do over the summers. Yeah, exactly. And he knew he wanted to go into radio, Ollie, and now he's got his job at BBC Radio Northampton. So here's how he got it. You went and did Radio uh, Inspiration FM, then did you get some shifts on Radio Northampton? Yeah, so I got some, basically, when you kind of start out, it's the grim shifts that nobody wants, unfortunately, so I was working like 6 to 10 on a Sunday night, which was horrible, but she weigh in, and so then through that, somebody phones me sick on a weekday, oh, can you come and cover? Yes. And then left the broadcast assistant job, which is basically kind of assistant producer came up, went for that, got that. Um, and then kind of made the progression up to producing breakfast just through people kind of leaving or vacancies becoming open or needing it covered. And that's where we am today. And uh, when, you, when you first went there, you, you, didn't you do shifts before you actually left here? Yeah. I did shifts starting second year because it was after the work placement in the first year, so I think it was second, third year I started. Doing so you got in shifts. relatively quickly. Yeah. And um, were you literally making tea? Were you? What was the? Yeah, when you so first started going in, you had all these skills that you'd learnt here, but how did you? What did you actually have yeah, to do? Yeah. So the kind, the making tea bit is is the kind of the old joke. It's, you don't just do that. Obviously. You, you, do because you want to drink but like it's just research research find me somebody who yeah. knows about yeah I mean the shows that I was on because it was kind of it was a less busy show you, there's only kind of one of you there so you kind of output it more than anything um, but it's just 
being a spare pair of hands. A skill that Ollie probably learnt at BBC Northampton was the best way of getting in contact with people, and that's probably just picking up the phone and calling them. And that's something as us as students we we don't particularly enjoy doing, but something that we sort of have to do, and something that we're improving on all the time, especially over the three years of the course. And I think that's really strange because obviously we're the generation that's grown up with phones, but because we hide behind screens for some reason it's just so scary to pick up the phone but if you don't just half the time you're just not going to get a reply and it's almost like there's a comfort blanket behind sending a text message or an email but here's how i discussing why you should pick up the phone and call people because it is the best way of getting in touch with someone even now it's tempting to if you want to speak to somebody to send an email or whatever and you are guilty of that sometimes but then you think oh, i need to I get need somewhere it. now I need so it five minutes and you call them, pick up the phone, job done. But also, on that note, if you want somebody good, you don't grasp whether somebody's good by an email because you haven't spoke to them and, you know. Yeah. The amount of times you'll find, like, even now, somebody go, oh, yeah, I've emailed them, they're coming on, and then they talk, and, like, one-word answers. And you'd pick that up by having a phone conversation with them. Yeah. But oh, I see, like, like a guest, so... Yeah, 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 so, like, some, you know... People will sometimes go, oh, I've emailed this person, they're going to come on. You're like, great, they come on, they're rubbish. Like this morning, for example, I was looking for somebody to talk about this dog story. Within two seconds of speaking to them, I thought, yeah, you're going to be good. Because they just talk. And like, just building that rapport with somebody, they will get the best out of them. Do you remember standing outside the newsroom and trying to talk on the phone or going into the radio studio to make phone calls? Yeah, it was awful. Because you didn't want to speak in front of other people? Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you get over that? You just, everybody does it. Like, if anybody's interested in their job, they're not going to be paying the blindest bit of notice to what you're saying, and nobody cares, really. It's like going to the gym. You end up looking at yourself in the mirror. You're not looking at anybody else. That's why people get really paranoid that somebody's going to be listening. Someone's going to laugh at them, and it's just like hundreds of phone conversations happen at work every day. I couldn't tell you one of them. Yeah. No idea. Because you just don't tune into other people's stuff. No. A few weeks ago, the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II brought the nation to a standstill with TV and radio coverage heavily focused on the event. The death of the Queen is one of those I remember where I was moments and something that nobody, especially those working in a newsroom that day, will never forget. ...that dominated the newsroom just a few days before were very quickly pushed out in favour of the royal coverage. Understandably, because this is one of the biggest stories ever, I mean, there were other stories like Liz Truss had her first few days in office, the cost of living crisis is worsening. It just shows the power that this royal death had on the country as a whole and the priority that it took over everything else. And it's one of them stories that most journalists want to work on. You know, some see it as a major moment in their careers, but there are some who dread being on shift that day because of just how tight reporting restrictions can be. And the BBC, of course, have a protocol to follow. So here's Ollie talking about what BBC Radio Northampton had to do. I think like, a lot of prep goes into it, but when it actually happens, there are still people that are like, oh, okay, what, right, what? So now? next day, does that mean day off, nothing to do? If no. they were... Well, it used to be like, but so when I, we always talk about, oh, what happens if the Queen dies? And it always kind of used to be, oh, you'd be off air for three or four days, everything would be Radio 4. And then we get these obit guidelines, which is basically what you do if a royal family member dies. And I remember... <laughs> sat on my bed in the evening thinking, right, what, what's happening here? And it was, she dies midday or in the evening, you go back on at six o'clock, I was like, oh no, that's the show I'm on. Oh no, <laughs> oh no. So yeah, so it was all kind of, like I say, the show was planned for that day, provided that she hadn't died. So we all had a meeting in the evening, right? 
Here we go. Because it, as bad as it sounds, when you kind of do the job you do, covering the death of the Queen is the it's big a one. historic event. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the protocol? Was it like we just go straight into into sombre music? Do yeah. we? So was there an announcement that you had to give? So we can't. If the Queen dies, in the same with Philip. If a royal family member dies, we can't say anything. We can't say. Queen's died, we're going to join whatever. So the rule is, there's, there's two situations. There's uh, crash ops, which is where basically Radio 4, Radio 5, New Channel, whatever, they just take control of you. You can't do anything. You're in the middle of a show, bang, you're gone. Um, do you not get any warning of that? In theory. <laughs> in practice. Um, so, so, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of, that's what we thought would happen because it wasn't like a sudden thing. You could, it was kind of building up through the day. We thought, we'll get time. This will happen. Or there's the um, kind of a planned recall, which is say half past six, you say, you'll listen to BBC Radio Northampton, we now join our news teams in London, raise Radio 4 fader, you're done. The Breakfast Show was the first show back on air the next morning, but they didn't have much time to take back control from BBC Radio 4 before the start of their own show. It, the desk went live at something like 5.55, so we'd, everything was kind of... We've got a guy who uh, his name 5. is Five fifty-five in the morning. Hey, in the morning, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so you we did. can take control until six o'clock. So yeah, the show was a breakfast show. Okay. So we were the first show back, the first local back after it all went national. And what did you do? Because um, f- forgive me, I wasn't listening at that no, point. Forgiven. So yeah, so we met on the Thursday night, and everything we'd had a big obit folder of you know when the Queen had visited Northamptonshire. We did a ring around of kind of everybody. Yeah, Morsier. Uh, yeah, everybody that's got MBEs. We had Richard Coles, who'd obviously met her through work. Um, that's your chancellor at the university. Is he still? Is he, yeah, he's still. He's sticking with it. He's staying. Yeah. Um, Lord Lieutenant James Saunders Watson, Queen's representative. So you kind of had your bank of people that you knew you could go to, yeah. call them. You know, can we call you? Yes. Which was actually done in the day. They did a big ring around, thinking just in case, so that you know we weren't just. Starting oh, so you had three records. No, as in we rang people to say, if we're you were to die, yeah, okay. are you free tomorrow morning? Can we contact you? So we spent a little while getting some guests. So we had two guests. So breakfast, we usually do kind of like guests at 10 past 8, 10 past and 22, and then report bits at 20 past and 10 to. So um, that obviously all had to be rethought. So we kept with the same structure. So we had guests 10 to, 10 past, 20 and then the report stuff as well um, but it was really interesting because we had you obviously had your guests lined up but you don't really know you don't just want to pack the show full of talking heads because it's something that also you don't know how people are going to react well, exactly we had a guy who went to bed Thursday night called in went to bed Thursday night read his book went to bed went to sleep woke up the following morning and listened to us it was the first time he found out the Queen had died oh calling tears it's crazy, and you just you do you just assume that oh it broke yesterday night, you're going to know. But some people, but some don't, people don't have smartphones, don't yeah. watch telly, don't yeah, never assume. Yeah. So yeah, this the show was planned, but it was kind of you had to just go with the flow of the morning. People called in, we got them on, let them talk. But it was the hardest bit was you listen to a radio program, you have your jingles at the top of the hour, you have your news jingles, you have your travel beds, you have your weather jingles, you have trails, you have stabs where you can just break things up we had nothing it was literally four hours of talking no there was nothing nothing to pause for breath we had nothing yeah it was all taken out jaunty jingle in the middle of an over 
Yeah. No, the BBC, it's very kind of very, very, very Oberty. I mean, when Philip died, it kind of, the, Obi the we were very down for quite a while and they were kind of saying we're going to, because a lot of things have changed since the last royal family member died, so they just change it and just see how the public feels. So the week kind of, just looking forward a little bit, the week kind of went really heavily Obit mode Monday, Tuesday, and then it was more kind of looking ahead what's happening Thursday, Friday, maybe moving on to Charles a little bit. With the death of the Queen dominating the airwaves and other news was simply pushed aside, the, the coverage on the radio had to reflect the mood of the public at the time. But what about the people that just don't have an interest in the royal family or aren't really bothered about the death of the Queen? Which is absolutely okay, but they wouldn't be limited to consuming any other news at that time. I think it's just something you've got to be cautious of, but it can happen with any news story, really. Here's Ollie's take on it. Did you have anybody ringing in who's going, this is... I'm not. I'm not a monarchist. This isn't. I'm not interested in this. Why is the BBC being so reverential and giving over so much time? Did you have that? Because it's not the entire population no. that wanted wall-to-wall coverage. Wall-to-wall -wall coverage. A little bit, but not as much as I was expecting. Because I mean, we like you know producing a radio program on the same story for a week is hard, and you have to kind of figure out how to get it along, and you have to be conscious that. Not everybody cares, really. I mean, it's the same with everything you do. Like, half the people don't care about sport, and they'll ring and go, oh, you do too much sport. And it's, it's the same with the Queen, but no, we didn't have as much as I thought. But you did have some people. But we did have some, yeah. Phone calls, emails? Texts. Oh, really? Yeah, complaints often have to be, well, Little trolls. Texts. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't as much as I thought it would be. But I, there was, I think there was probably more for Philip than there was for the Queen, because... Queen. Yeah. I think everybody kind of gets it. So the so the so we're talking. So you must have done Friday morning. Then Saturday was that as normal? Uh, like how did you how did the week go after that? Running up to the funeral day. Of the so funeral? Saturday was still heavy open stuff. As was Sunday. Oh God, that must have been. <laughs> That's fun. Um, I think as was Monday, and then we got a few obit jingles on Tuesday, but it was all from national. Did you get the obit jingles, or were they local? Were they local? Yeah. But it was literally like five seconds. Might as well not happen. But yeah, it was really heavily obit until chats were had. I think on Tuesday. Who was making the decisions? Head of local radio. So they kind of like Chris Burns and. Oh, so Jess not even no. within in house. No. We have, you have to do, everybody has to do the same thing. A massive thank you to Ollie for coming in to talk to us, but that's all we have time for this week. I've been Richard Smith. And I've been Chloe Finch. Thank you for listening.